Make you feel good to be in the house of the Lord today, to be away from all the negativity and focus upon the goodness. And if you feel warmth and love today, you know, I hope it is from one another, but what's there is because of the love of God. God loves you greater than we love ourselves, and you love yourself, and His, His uh, love is overpowering. And getting back to songs like that, you know, He's the heart of our worship. He's the heart of our life, and, and hold on to that over the days and weeks and months ahead. I want to bring a message to you, putting first things first. <laughs> 
Um, you know, I, I turn in my titles. Judy's aware of that now. Uh, I turn in my sermon titles and scriptures well in advance. So if I'm addressing something today, um, this is something that I worked up probably well over a month ago, and it's amazing how God does that. But in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 2 through 9, is a passage of Scripture, and it's probably a book that you don't read much from, not because you don't believe in it, just because it's kind of nestled in the Old Testament towards the end of it, and it's the second uh, smallest book in, in Scripture. And so in the book of Haggai, it is a prophet, a prophet that God has used to raise up to bring a message to the, the people of Israel to challenge them to realign their spiritual life so that they can put themselves right back before God and experience the freshness and the beauty of the holiness and the, the righteousness and the goodness of God in their life. And in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord of hosts says this, These people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of hosts says this, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink and you never have enough to become drunk. You have put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of the host says, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills and bring down lumber and build this house, and then I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. But when you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts, because my house still lies in ruins, which each of you is busy with his own house. Now you say, Pastor, what in the world are you reading that passage for? Our house is built. I know that. In fact, we're actually building a house, aren't we? Over on 707. But listen to the message this morning. And the message title is this to put first things first. Things happen in our life, whether it come through crisis, whether it come through some definitive happening, it comes through death, it comes through sickness, it comes through challenges, it comes through uh, meetings together, spiritual worship service corporately, privately, conversations with our spouses, our loved ones, whatever, however it comes. The message is this. Every one of us, all throughout our lives, whether we're young children or older adults, are constantly having to battle one thing. And it is, where is God positioned in my life? What is first in my life and what really matters? Now, I'm going to bring a simplistic solution to the problem of the world. I really believe that people would, under, would, would come to understand hope, righteousness, the power of God 
more if they'll just realign their priorities and put God where he needs to be put as number one. Now, that's a simplistic answer to a lot of problems, I know. Easier said than done. Because it comes a time in our life, it's hard to give up in order to have. It's hard to, to, to let go when our hand is held tight on something we think is very important. But as you know already, some things in our life meant something one day, and the things that we thought meant something that day, today, doesn't mean anything. Why? Because you and I together learn that throughout our life, priorities have to change. Priorities have to be readjusted. There are times in all of our lives we were number one. And then it came a time where God challenged us, I need you to give it, give it up. I need your complete surrender. I need your life given to me. And so we put ourselves on the back burner and we place God first. And at the moment of salvation, we're probably the most excited that we've ever been in our life spiritually. And we're on that spiritual high because we found God or God found us, however way you want to refer to it, whatever makes sense to you. The fact is you and I together, we found God. Our lives are matched in one common goal and purpose and it's in our salvation. And then your things change. We get comfortable with our excitement. We get comfortable in our relationship. And we allow things to creep in slightly and surely. And before long, we're asking the question, why am I not joyful in my relationship to God anymore? Why do the things that used to be important to me spiritually, I just can't seem to find enthusiasm for anymore? That the questions, the answers to those questions might come down to one simplistic answer. Who's number one in your life? God or you? Who's number one in my life? God or me? And you begin to ask yourself the question, what, am I need, what do I need to do to put first things first? Now, how does this relate to the Scripture? The people of Israel were uh, a people who were drifting away from truth. They lived, they, they lived life with misplaced priorities. Haggai was sent to help God's people get their priority in line or priorities in line with what they knew should be there. Now, how does this relate to what we're facing today? Could it be? that you personally and the world personally is being challenged here to do something, to look at their life spiritually and to realign themselves with God who's in control of all things, as Bill said a moment ago, and to realign ourselves and to trust God with great faith that God is up to something big all over the world and he's going to do a miraculous work, whatever that is, contrary to what the media says and contrary to anything else, God understands what we're facing. He understands the ramifications of sickness and disease. And yet, 
God is up to something. He's not trying to cause this world to fail. He's not trying to to change this world from the standpoint from success to failure. He's about grabbing the attention of the hearts of his people and so that we put him back at the center of our worship, that we put him back first in our life, that we reach out to God and we begin to cry out, Abba, Father, I place my life before you because I realize I can't control nothing around me, that I can't change my life situation around me. And so I look to you and I place my complete surrender in your hands. And I'm asking for strength. And I'm asking that you enable me to be your messenger and your ambassador in the world in which I live. Haggai spoke his message to the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem after they lived in captivity in Babylon. And as you recall, Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and Solomon's temple. And yet some 70 years later, when the Jews returned from the exile of Babylon, they faced a very daunting task. And the daunting task was the rebuilding of the temple. The first returnees made preliminary attempts to clear the debris or debris and lay the foundation for a second temple. Then the Samaritan neighbors all inhabited and began to offer their help to join in, but the Jews refused because of the uncleanliness that they thought between the Gentiles and Jews. And the Samaritans in turn threatened the workers, sent men to Persia, lobbied against the Jews, and the the work came to a halt because they began to internally fight within them. And as years passed, slowly but surely, Jerusalem came to life again, homes were built, stores rebuilt, commerce established, fields were resurrected and planted, crops harvested, and life began to resemble normalcy all over again. The foundations were overgrown with weeds inside the temple, and they stood. it stood as a mute reminder to the Jewish people that they failed to take care of the most important matter of their life. They were no longer to look at themselves and take care of themselves, that now was a time for them to let go of who they were and return back to the Father and to place Him in the prominence of where He should have been all along in their life. Fourteen to sixteen years later, So this is basically 86 years later after the exile when the temple was destroyed. 86 years later, they began to realize it's time to rebuild the temple. You say, well, pastor, the temple is not where God is. Absolutely. But you got to keep in mind, and the Old Testament thought was this. The temple represented the presence of God. And if they didn't have a temple... They didn't see the visible reminder of God's presence. And so that's why it was so important. So this message is about a message of priority. Put first things first. The temple was the center of worshiping God, representing the heart and the soul of the Old Testament religion. And although God is everywhere, the temple was the place on earth where God dwelled in a very special sense. And when the priest entered into that temple once a year 
and went behind the Holy of Holies where no one else could go. It represented that the priest went into the presence of God unlike anybody else and offered up the sins, the atonement of sin for the entire nation. And people felt clean and forgiven. They have no temple. They have no holy of holies. They have no priests representing them. They, can, they cannot see where God is. And they're hopeless. They cannot see God at work. And so as a result, Haggai says, you are an embarrassment to God and you are marring his reputation. And so I'm asking you, Jewish people, get on with real life and put God back first in your life. Demonstrate that firstness by rebuilding this temple. Put God in the prominent place of where he needs to be. Folks, I really believe that there are things that happen in our world today that are calling for people to put God first in their life, whether it be a virus, a tragedy, a crisis, or an individual situation. God uses those things to get people back to loving Him. So I ask you today, not as a judgment, and not to throw guilt upon your life, but to have you and I together collectively Answer this question. Do we love God today more than we did yesterday, a month ago, a year ago? Are we trusting and placing our faith more in God today than we did a day ago, a month ago, a year ago? Haggai's message was blunt. He pulled no punches and he wasted no words. Haggai spoke like a foreman on a construction job. He put on his hard hat, his tool belt, and he walked around that construction site and he bellowed out the orders and he gave them practical steps about priorities. He said, I need you to put first things first. And let me give you some practical steps about priorities. And this is where you and I have to be honest with ourselves and with God. First of all, we've got to stop making excuses. Haggai confronted excuses for the temple lying in ruin. They gave some excuses right there that we read. The Lord of hosts says this, but the people said the time has not come for us to rebuild this house. They intended to build God's house, but just haven't gotten around to it. They were more concerned about finding toilet tissue, hand sanitizer, and Lysol more than anything else. Now, I'm going to ask you something. And again, this is really not the creative. I want seriously. How much time this week did you spend reading the news? Don't answer out loud. And how much time did you spend this week reading God's Word? Priorities, folks. What's more important? CNN or God? Again, it's not a judgment question of judgment. It's a question of evaluation for me as well as for you. And so you and I have to stop making excuses. It's just not right time for my life. You just don't understand. I'm just not right there where I need to be. I'll get there. Well, the children of Israel made that same excuse. We know it needs to be rebuilt, but it's not the right time. And Haggai's saying, hmm, okay. Why do you think you're in the situation you're in today? 
Well, you put God off so long, and now what's happened? You find yourself fearful. You find yourself out on a limb trying to make things happen, and you just can't make it happen. If you were asked about them, they would prob- if they were asked about them, they probably would say, you know, I'm all for building the temple. It's a great cause, but God wants me to take care of my families first. Times are hard and jobs are scarce. I need to take care of number one, me. Hmm. We need to pray about that some more. Maybe, maybe God will give me an answer. We will eventually build it, but just not right now. So they were making excuse after excuse after excuse. Be careful on your excuses. Billy Sunday defines as a, um, a skin of reason stuffed with a lie. <laughs> Think about that. A skin of reason stuffed with a lie. It's always easy to make excuses when we really don't want to obey God. That's what happened to the children of Israel. They were basically saying to Haggai, we're just not ready to obey him. We know it needs to be built, and we know what needs to be done, but we're just not ready to offer our obedience to God yet. Haggai's like, hmm, hmm. The time is not right. I've got responsibilities. My kids need me. When things settle down at work, then I'll get around to it. The first step of putting first things first is you and I together have to stop making excuses. Number two, we've got to cease being selfish. Cease being selfish. Closely aligned with the excuse is the selfish mindset that permeates everything. Haggai challenged the people's behavior. He says, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet, and he says this, it is, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Paneled houses meant covered or roofed homes. He's basically referring to their house, the roof, their home. But the point was, it represented finishing touches. So for a house to have a paneled house or to have a roof meant that they had focused so much upon themselves that they artistically put the brush strokes collectively together on the beauty all around their life, and they have forgotten about the finishing touch of God. Their homes were were in process, but God's temple was left to ruin. Unfinished incomplete, non-existent. So for the people to say to Haggai, this is the scary part, for people to say to Haggai, Haggai, we'll get around to it one day. We know what needs to be done, but it's just not the right time. And they're saying to Haggai, we know God exists and we know he's important, but right now that importance is not important to me. And I will reach out to God when I get good and ready. Hmm, that's what they're saying back to Haggai. And yet, going through all the captivity that they had gone through of of the many years in Babylonian captivity as well as the Egyptian captivity, you would think that a a nation of people would have learned their lesson. Please understand, nothing is wrong with having a nice house. And there's nothing wrong with having a clean house these days. 
The statement is not an attack on riches, and it's not an attack on big homes and cars and the things you have. What's wrong is to own a nice home while God lays in ruin in your life. It's wrong when those things become the priority and God becomes secondary or third or fourth. What comes wrong is that I'll call out to God when I need Him, but in the meantime, I've got control of all these things. It's easy to drift away from God's agenda when our agenda is presented before us. It's easy to pursue selfish desires while ignoring God's greatest desire. In fact, it is the default mode of our lives, if we're not careful, to revert back to number one. If we give no thought to how we're living, we will naturally live for ourselves. The the bent of our heart, the, the desire of our heart is always towards selfishness, and we're having to combat that old man, that old nature, versus the new nature that God implants within us and allow that new DNA of spiritual DNA to take over our spiritual DNA so that you and I can come alive in God. Persistently and consistently seeking God's first will never end in a regret. It will always end in favor. Number three, don't miss God's blessings. Now, when you and I, as well as the nation, as Haggai was saying, if you continue to neglect the, the rebuilding of this temple, you are passing, passing over God's blessings that he has for your life. And God is looking for his people to put him first in, his li- in their life. Why? Because he wants to bless us. It's not, he's not waiting to zap us. He's waiting to bless us. But we can't have that blessing unless he's aligned in its rightful position of our life. As a consequence of their excuse making, the consequences of their selfish life, the people in Haggai's day experienced hardship after hardship after hardship, war after war after war, calamity after calamity after calamity, bad relationship after relationship after relationship, and it wasn't going to get better until they put God back in throne of their life. They were foregoing so many great blessings. In fact, it says they sowed seed, but they still had to deal with drought. They had crops that yielded great harvests, but still it wasn't enough. They had lifestyles of of goodness but they still couldn't find satisfaction. They were laboring and had still no profits. No matter how hard they tried, it seemed that they were spinning their wheels over and over. No matter how much money they made, they couldn't have enough to live on. Do you know how that feels? I do. Because of their selfishness, the people missed God's blessings. Haggai points out a sobering reminder. What happens in your heart affects every part of your life. What happens in the internal being of who you are affects everything in your life and mine. Because the people had pushed God out of the center 
They suffered in every area of their life. Don't miss God's blessings. What did they see when they allowed God to enter into their predicament? Well, we know the end of the story. They saw blessing and they saw goodness. They saw God return with joy in their life. It's God who controls the rain and it's God who controls the harvest. He can withhold his blessing because the priorities are just not there. Put his house first. Put God first, and he will bless you. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Blessing comes through obedience. And if you want to experience God's blessings, then be obedient to God. Number four, take time to evaluate. With this strong indictment, this devastating predicament, the people realized that they had caused their own calamity. The people were ready to evaluate the situation, and Haggai says to the people, consider your ways. Could this virus be something that's trying to wake up the world? Consider your ways. I'm not here as a prophet foretelling the future. I'm foretelling a message. And so the word consider means to give careful thought to. It's a time that the people were to do some serious self-examination before the Lord. Haggai wanted the people to stop long enough in all of their busyness in all of their schedules, and evaluate their life in light of God's Word. It's coming, folks. You're going to come to a halt, and you're going to have a lot of time on your hands for the next few months, and you're going to have a lot of opportunity to self-examine your life. Listen to your pastor as I do the same. Take the opportunity of time that comes before you and evaluate your spiritual life before God. Spend a lot of time with God, less time with other things that don't matter to a hill of beans. Although a hill of beans would be nice, wouldn't it, if you could find it? And yet, focus on God. I promise you, blessing will flow. Blessing spiritually, it may not be material blessing and anybody else see it. But you'll have blessing within your heart that's beyond belief. Failure to make the constant corrections each day in our life is like a pilot who does not make the adjustments in the midair and the plane ends up hundreds of miles drifted away from the original destination. Failure to take the proper precautions today will result in severe consequences tomorrow. When we stop making excuses, we cease being selfish, and yet we refuse to to take on our own blessing, therefore seeking God's blessings, taking time to evaluate, we can see God's work in powerful ways. This is what happens when first things come first, when God becomes first in our heart. How will you know that you've put first things first? How will you know when God's first place in your life? I'm glad you asked, and I'm going to close out with these three things. There's three indications when God is first in your life. Number one, this is what happens. We're active in the right things. 
We're active in the right things. And go up unto the hills, bring down the lumber, build the house, Haggai says. Then I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord of hosts. In all of life, there is time to talk and there's time to act. There's a time to consider and there's a time to do. Those who put first things first up and doing the right things now, spending time God daily with God, serving people, honoring Him with their time, their talents, and their financial resources. For the Jews, living in Jerusalem, it meant cutting down the trees and building the house to put God first. So we're challenged to do the same. Number two, how you know when you have God first back in your God first place in your life is that God is glorified. Why should the temple be built? That God may be glorified. That's all I, uh, Haggai wanted. When God is first and we become, we become less, where He is lifted up and we are brought down, when God is placed as God who He is, back on the throne of our life, when God is first, His glory is revealed in our minds and our hearts and through our doing and through our life. In fact, everything we think, everything we say and do to honor God brings credit to Him. Whatever your occupation, whatever the chief business of your life, every Christian's call is to bring glory to God. Number three, indication that God is first is that God blesses us. God blesses us. When the people obeyed, God says, I am with you. We didn't read that, but in verse 13 of Haggai chapter 1, when, when the people obeyed, God said, I am with you. Now, I want my wife with me. I want my children with me. I want my grandchildren with me. I want the people who love me, and I love them with me. And you, we all do. And that's nothing wrong with that. But I don't want to stop there. I want it to go a little further. And the most important further I need it to be is that I know God is with me. And you and I have that blessing that God is with us. The sure sign of His blessing is His manifested presence. If God seems distant in your life, perhaps the priorities have gotten mixed up and when you put God first, you experience a new awareness of His presence. That's the true blessing. Eric, Michael just recently went through the walk to Emmaus, a very spiritual weekend. Let me tell you what happened. I've been there, done it. The reason why you experience joy is because you turned your priorities around and you began to walk with God in a different way. Let these two men be a shining example to all of us that when we... Put things first. When God is first, and we put all those other things last, or second, or third, or whatever you, however way you want to prioritize it, when you put God first, good things happen. Blessing flows. Goodness is experienced in the power and the holiness of God. I've shared this illustration before, and I share it again to remind you of one truth. Where a, an instructor... I had a time management seminar. I had participants. He wanted them to kind of have a quiz. And so he reached under the table and he took out this wide mouth jar, gallon jar and he set it on the table. And next to the jar, 
were a number of, of large-sized rocks. And he asked, you know, is he, is he put the, getting ready to put the rocks in the, the jar? He says, you know, how, much, how many of these rocks do you think I can get inside the jar? Well, the participants made their guesses, and the instructor said, well, let's find out. And so one by one, he began to put these large rocks into that open, wide-mouthed gallon jar until the rocks came to the top of the rim. And he says and picked it up to the class or to the, the group, and he says, is this jar full? And they said, yes, it's full. He said, instructor says, nope, this jar is not full. All the participants, they looked at him. He reached under the table, and he pulled out a bucket of gravel. And he began to pour the gravel into the jar, and he began to shake the jar a little bit as the gravel and the small grains began to fill in between the rocks. And again, he says, is this jar full? So the participants are starting to realize, no. Some said no, some said yes. He said, well, I can see some of you are getting it. So the instructor nodded and said, good, all right? And slowly, he reached under the table again, and he pulled out some sand. And he took the sand, and he already says, this jar full, and he took the sand, and he begins to pour the sand into the jar, shaking it. Now the sand, smaller than the gravel, smaller than the rock, begins to fill in where the gravel and the rock couldn't be. And he holds it up again and says, all right, class, is this jar full? And, of course, the audience all roared, no. He said, good, I'm glad you're getting the point. So he was pleased. He understood it. So the instructor began to pour water into the jar. And at this point, he stopped, and he asked the group, what point is this? So somebody with all great wisdom stood up and said, well, there's always gaps in our life, sir, and if you work at it, you can always fit more into your life. The instructor said, no, that's not the point. If I hadn't put the big rocks in first, then I would have never been able to fill the jar with all the contents. That's the point. So he says to the group, in time management and success, being successful entrepreneurs and businessmen and women, he says, now, if you want to be successful in life, you got to always know when the time comes to put the big rocks in first. So I ask you today, what should be your big rocks? What are they? What do you need to take out the jar to start over with? What do you need to put in? God in his house, God's love and his forgiveness, God's presence and his power, put them first. Watch what happens to your spiritual life, your vitality of your relationship, or should I say your fellowship with the Lord God. God's calling us to put him first. Will you do that today? Father, we thank you for the moments of worship we have, the challenge you give us, the message that resonates in all of our hearts of how you are challenging us to place you number one in our life. Father, first of all, forgive us where we put you second and help us to have the courage to confess and admit to you the need of you being first place. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to make that adjustment 
and allowing us to experience the freshness of who you are. Thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and your guidance, and your strength above all else. In your name that we pray, amen. My friend, we want to stand and sing a song of affirmation, a commitment time as we seek first the kingdom of God